African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Welcome to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember that uh, you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you constantly listen to us, you must know by now that we're also on DSTV on Channel 902 and you can stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today on our program, we'll be talking about the progress made in regional integration on the continent. And also, what does that phrase mean, regional integration? I know that these are phrases that usually are spoken on on kind of government level, and sometimes they don't trickle down to you and me, uh, normal people. So we'll look at that issue of regional integration on the continent of Africa. But hey, we've got uh, Onelin Zinzi. She's standing by to give us our news. And we take a look at your headlines. 24 Nigerian soldiers have been wounded as troops repelled Boko Haram insurgents who attacked the military in northeast Bono State. Scores of people killed and others wounded in a blast at Rock Central Kabul in Afghanistan during morning rush hour and the graduation ceremony of the first 35 Namibian trained doctors seen as a declaration to the world that Namibia is slowly moving away from being dependent on other countries' expertise. Twenty-four Nigerian soldiers have been wounded as troops repelled Boko Haram insurgents who attacked the military in northeast Bono State. Boko Haram militants attacked troops in the town of Kareto before they were repelled. The Boko Haram insurgency has claimed an estimated 20,000 lives since 2009 in its bid for a hardline Islamic State in northeast Nigeria. Meanwhile, Boko Haram has been forced to produce its own fuel to power its motorbikes because of an acute petrol shortage caused by military squeeze on supply lines. A civilian vigilante assisting the military against the Islamic State group affiliate in Maiduguri says the militants will pay any amount to get fuel. The offensive and heightened border security is making it difficult for Bokram to receive deliveries from fuel vendors from Maiduguri and Cameroonian border towns. Several people have been killed with over 200 wounded in the height of the morning rush hour when Taliban militants attacked an office of Afghanistan's main security agency with a suicide car bomb and gunfire on Tuesday. This is the first assault of the capital since declaring a spring offensive. The health ministry says civilians and members of the Afghan security forces were among those caught in the attack. The Taliban announced the beginning of their spring offensive on April 12th. 
Four civilians have been killed and seven others injured in protests at the airport of the northern city of Kidal in Mali. Some of the protesters were again arrested by French forces. The United Nations mission in Mali says demonstrators broke into the airport, a key center for humanitarian assistance in the north of the country. And finally, the graduation ceremony of the first 35 Namibian trained doctors is seen as a declaration of the to the world that Namibia is slowly but surely moving away from being dependent on other countries' expertise. Former President Hifike Punye Buhamba, who also is a Chancellor of the University of Namibia, has commended the institution and all those who have played a role in the establishment of the school. It shows also that Namibia is committed to her national agenda of meeting development goals including the one on universal access to health. Now recapping on your top stories, 24 Nigerian soldiers have been wounded as troops repelled Bokram insurgents who attacked the military in northeast Spono State. Scores of people killed and others wounded in a blasted rock central Kabul in Afghanistan during morning rush hour and the graduation ceremony of the first 35 Namibian trained doctors seen as a declaration to the world that Namibia is slowly moving away from being dependent on other countries' expertise. Channel Africa can you say on a Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're going to be speaking about the issue of regional integration. What does that actually mean? Sometimes these terms, as I mentioned when we started the program, they're so high level. And us on the ground, we don't understand these terms or the projects associated to these ideas like regional integration. But also, the reason why we're doing this is that there was a recent report that came out saying that the East African community has been cited as the most integrated region in Africa. This is according to the Africa Regional Integration Index Report, which was launched at the beginning of April in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. This is the first initiative to be developed to measure the progress on regional integration in the continent. And Africa has spent much of the past decade investing in physical infrastructure, but must not forget the development of human capital as well. And investing in education also is another issue, particularly in science and technology, which will also bring about gains for the citizens of the continent. So today we want to unpack this issue of uh, integration on the continent. We've got on the line Kudzanayi Bangure, who is the manager of uh, the NBF's Africa Infrastructure Desk, and he will focus really on Africa's integration, specifically on the integration through transport uh, corridors. And uh, NBF is the NAPED Business Foundation. Also joining us uh, in the same office as uh, Kudzanayi 
I is Leslie Wentworth, who is also heading some initiatives which are really associated with SEDEX Integration and Industrialization Corps and uh, really part also of the Southern Africa uh, Business Forum. And also she's going to tell us a little bit about some of the projects that are linked with the SEDEX Secretariat, specifically focusing on industrialization. Also, we have on the line William Mwanza, who's a Trelec researcher. Trelec is a capacity-building organization developing trade-related capacity in East and Southern Africa. Now, I want to start this conversation with you, Kuzanaya. I know we have limited time with you, but when we're talking about uh, regional integration, what are we referring to? Good morning. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you to your listeners. Um, I think we, when we look at regional integration, and I'll speak primarily from the transportation perspective, uh, specifically with regards to some of the rail infrastructure projects that we're looking at. Um, when we're looking at regional integration, we're looking at the ability uh, of us to be able to develop, as an example, seamless rail logistics corridors uh, that are able to tra- traverse multiple countries. Um, where you've got a pit-to-port solution, uh, wherein you do not have uh, excessive stoppages at various border posts. So one of the key practical things we're looking at uh, in with regards to regional integration is our ability to be able to have a seamless rail logistics corridors. Um, and the same goes uh, for road logistics as well. Uh, the, the, the integration element that we're looking at is to say, if you have a particular road solution that is uh, moving cargo coming out of Ndola, uh, destined for Durban, uh, that needs to be a seamless solution where, wherein there are very few stoppages at the different border posts. And in order for, for you to have that uh, seamless solution, you need to have the different countries uh, that are part of that entire corridor uh, interacting uh, in a seamless mm. manner. And, and that is the core of the regional integration element, uh, specifically with regards to transportation. Uh, mm. Of course, embedded within that, you could then look at uh, a lot of things such as uh, removal, removal, removal of trade barriers, mm. um, particularly the border posts, uh, non-tariff barrier issues that you, you need to look at. So you'd have a lot of policy uh, elements that you then dig into uh, in order to get that base uh, requirement, which is that seamless solution. Uh, which for us is, is really the underpinning element for, for regional integration insofar as transportation is concerned. Mm. Leslie, let's move on to you to look at that particular term, regional integration. I know you work with SEDEC, but overall, what are we talking about? And I hear there, just summing up what Kuzanai is talking about, and the main thing there that I sum from him, it's really an issue of connectivity within uh, the countries, within a region on the continent. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, so, so, in, so, in terms of the integration of the continent, which is, which is the primary goal of of the African Union, and the uh, African the Agenda 2063, uh, we're looking at at issues around practical integration and and those uh, that could be referred to in insofar as transport integration, infrastructure integration. Those are really the the, the practical solutions that result from the various economies, mm. the various countries of Africa mm. um, coordinating, cooperating, and, and integrating closer together. Mm. There are, of course, numerous uh, theories on regional integration. We've got the long-standing linear integration model, which, which has been handed down from us from the European Union. We've got uh, the developmental integration models, etc. In essence, what we're looking at is um, increasing the cooperation, economic, social, political cooperation amongst the 54 African countries with a view to in increasing trade and investment um, and, and in, in essence, improving the lives of African people by 
coming up with, with African solutions. Well, that's interesting. We'll come back to that issue of uh, localizing some of these uh, projects or making them very much continental because we know from region to region there are different needs and different exploitation in terms of what kind of industries are being explored. But let me move on right now to TRAILAC researcher William Wanza. Maybe you want to add something to this definition that we're trying to actually break down for our listeners when we talk about regional integration. What are we talking about, uh, William? Yeah, I think Kuzunai and Leslie have um, pretty much summed it up sure, well in sure. terms of the connectivity that we're trying to achieve um, across the regions or across countries. Um, I think uh, the, the main issue I would highlight is that it's about um, all these things are on paper. So it's about really harmonizing your policies and your laws and your programs, which actually then form the basis for whether it's um, investment in or development of infrastructure, whether it's for removal of, of tariffs um, for goods that are being imported from, from different sources, whether it's actually removing non-tariff barriers that are actually being experienced as traders go on. So it, it's, it's really harmonizing at a regional level all your policies, your laws, your programs, as, uh, as Leslie says, so that you can actually free the movement of trade, um, increase investment, um, movement of people across borders, and in the end, the well-being of, of, of uh, individuals within the countries. Do you think that we can create the space of uh, connectivity on the continent? Bring it back to you, the listener. Give us your thoughts. What do you think about the conversation we're having today? Do you think this is idealistic or this is an idea that we can't really achieve as a continent? Give us your thoughts. Remember that you can uh, send us your emails and also you can uh, send us your messages via that SMS number that we give you on our program. Give us your thoughts. Do you think that actually we can harmonize this different regions whereby the continent is actually more connected. I remember just recently, I had to go to Zimbabwe. It's not very far from where I stay, Johannesburg. I had to just cross the border at Bait Bridge. It was a nightmare. I have to tell you, I was going by bus because I wanted to save some money. It was the most horrific experience that I've ever had of just going from one place to another place. And I was thinking to myself, I'm actually a member of SEDEC just as a normal citizen. Why is it hard for me just to go across the border and just go to a friend's wedding it was simply that i was just going to visit a country actually i was actually going there just for a few days but it took me longer going there than actually how much i spent there and uh, so hey what are your thoughts do you think that africa can create a space whereby we are more integrated it's easy for me to go to namibia it's easy for me to go to zimbabwe and just countries where i actually am in and part of my regional family what are your thoughts and we're going to speak about the challenges when we come back we'll wrap it up with kuts and Banguru who has to leave us because he has a meeting to go to. So it's a very busy day for everybody. But thank you to everyone who's made their time for us. But hey, let's take a quick break and we'll be back after this. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Hey, remember that if you want to send us an email, you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. And hey, you can also SMS us 
your views. Do you think that we can actually create a space where Africa is more integrated? And today we're speaking about regional integration. And let's start this part of the conversation with you, Kuzanae Bangura. Obviously, just experiencing what I just experienced a few weeks ago, this connectivity is still on paper. And I know that you work a little bit on the North-South Corridor. Tell us a little bit about the plans on that particular. What is the North-South Corridor and uh, what are we talking about when we're speaking about those transport corridors? So, thank you so much. Uh, and the North-South Corridor is perhaps one of the best examples uh, that we can use as the NIPAD Business Foundation to try and demonstrate what we're trying to achieve uh, when it comes to regional integration. So, we have defined the North-South Corridor as the railway line uh, and, the, and the road uh, linkages that are running all the way from South Africa, uh, running into Zimbabwe, running into Zambia, and running into the DRC. Um, so insofar as the rail is specifically concerned, we're looking at the spine, the main line that is running from Durban. It runs all the way through to Baybridge, uh, the border post which you had a bit of a nightmare with, uh, crossing over <laughs> Baybridge, running up to Livingston and Victoria Falls, uh, and then going up into Zambia, into, into Ndola, uh, and then running all the way through across the Zambia DRC border into Lubumbashi. Um, depending on who you're speaking to, you could have a different definition. You could have someone including the Plumtree line, uh, which, which comes out of South Africa, runs into Botswana, and, and then another leg as well that runs from uh, Zambia going up into, into, the, into, into uh, Dar es Salaam, which is the Tavari leg. Uh, so that's what we've defined as the North-South Corridor. And, and as you can already see, it is essentially road and rail networks that are traversing multiple mm-hmm. countries, those being South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. Um, and the core thing that we're looking at with this particular project is to say, how can we allow uh, both uh, transportation of goods and services across all these countries um, in a seamless manner? Uh, if we've got, as an example, copper that is coming out of the copper belt uh, in Solwezi, in, in the DRC, or in Kolwezi, in Kalumbila, in Zambia, how can we get that product moving uh, from, from pit to port? Uh, in the most seamless uh, and efficient manner. Uh, and there we're talking about key operating metrics such as uh, your transit times, your turnaround times, on-time departures. Uh, how can we get that solution mm-hmm. as quickly as possible? Um, and, the, and the reason we're looking at that is, is, is on, a couple of, uh, on a couple of levels. One, uh, we need to realize that as a continent, we are competing with the rest of the, of, of the globe in terms of uh, providing uh, resources, services, products. So, you know, if you're looking at, if you were talking about coal as an example, we're competing with the Australians to land coal in, in destinations such as China, Pakistan. Uh, if you're talking about copper, it's the same. You're competing with, with a lot of other exporters. Um, so the key, key thing then becomes how can we get uh, the, the lowest cost of transporting these goods and services? Um, and one of the key things that, that you need in order to, to lower that cost of transportation is mm-hmm. to have that seamless uh, logistic solution. Um, so on the rail side, you're talking about making sure you've got the infrastructure that is efficient, that is reliable, uh, that is well-maintained. Uh, on the road side, you're talking about uh, key things such as the border posts, making sure that you don't have these massive delays at the, at the different border posts, um, which is a, a classic example of what, what you experienced. Um, so, so that's what we're looking at. And, and, the, and the regional integration element uh, then feeds into, say, within each of those countries, you're dealing with the ministries of transport, uh, with the different rail operating entities, state-owned entities, uh, different road transportation agencies that form part of the core body that is responsible for movement of, of, of goods and services. Mm-hmm. And indeed people as well, because you've got a lot of passenger trains that move sure. between uh, all these different countries. Um, so be it you talking about uh, freight transportation, be it you talking about passenger transportation, whatever the case might be, 
we need to be able to move good services and people in a seamless manner, um, either if it is for export, uh, but also indeed, and, and, and my colleague Leslie will touch on this, for the intra-country uh, uh, trade as well um, that is mm. on the continent. And this obviously then links up with the industrialization argument. Uh, mm. We think that they need to be, it, it needs to be a lot easier for mm. Zambia to be able to trade with Zimbabwe. It needs sure. to be a lot easier for the DRC to trade with South Africa. Um, as an example, we know that we, we're currently sitting in a severe drought uh, most of Southern Africa. Mm. Uh, some of the hardest hit countries are Zimbabwe, Zambia, and South Africa. Um, and we know that uh, there's, there's the need for a lot of maids to move up and down uh, between the different countries, depending on which country can support the other. So we know, as an example, that Zambia is actually moving a lot of maids into Zimbabwe to assist them. Um, and we know that Zimbabwe, they, they, they have the requirements of anything in excess of 700,000 tons uh, of maize that they need in order to assist them with regards to, to the job they're currently facing. Now, we need to be able to get that product out of Zambia into Zimbabwe in the most seamless uh, fashion at the lowest cost. Mm. Uh, if you're talking about cement that's coming out of Tanzania, moving into Zambia, uh, we need to be able to have that cement moving in a lot cheaper. Um, and an interesting point, I was speaking to some of my colleagues that were talking about this issue, you know, can we actually get uh, local cement uh, manufacturers supplying products cheaper than getting it elsewhere? Um, and they were specifically talking about the development up in, in East Africa, specifically in Kenya. And they were saying, look, we've got product that is now coming out of uh, India, landing in Kenya, because they're able to move that product um, at, at a lower cost. Uh, and we're actually unable to move that product uh, from Kenya to the different locations where it's required. It's coming from abroad. Um, and that speaks to your ability to lower that cost of transportation. And, and regional integration mm. is critical in, in lowering one of those key metrics. So, with that said, Katanai, sorry to cut you off there, but you know we have those concepts in paper, but how, how far are we in realizing those corridors and making sure that it's not just something on paper, as was highlighted there by William as we started the program, but it's actually something that's becoming more realized year after year, but because it seems like it's a process that's not really taking off. So there certainly are a lot of strides that are, that, are, that have been realized. On the road side, you've got a lot of these one-stop border posts that are being established. Uh, one of the prominent ones is the one between the border with Zambia and Zimbabwe, which is fully functional and up and running. Um, and, and one of the key things that SADC is trying to do is to replicate uh, that one-stop border post concept, which effectively uh, lowers a lot of the, the transit time uh, looking at anything that is moving uh, through that border. So from a practical perspective, there are a lot of things that SADC is currently doing with the different the state to actually start getting uh, some of these key things uh, off the ground. Um, then on, on, on the rail side, if you take the North-South Corridor, there are key initiatives that are already up and running. As an example, you've got what we call the block train that is currently running from Durban all the way up through into Ndola. And what that effectively means is you've got a train that will leave uh, the port of Durban and it will run non-stop all the way through uh, to, 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 to Ndola. Uh, whereas previously, and in fact with, with most other rail services, you will have that train going from station to station, uh, way to stopping at the different points. So that's an example of a practical sort of uh, solution that, that we currently have, uh, where you've got that attempt to have that more seamless solution on a particular corridor. Um, so, so if we're talking about practical elements, those are some of the key things that are, that are there on the ground. Uh, here I'm obviously talking a lot more about Southern Africa, uh, but if you, if you go elsewhere in, in the mm. continent, I think it's fair to say that that rate of progress is a lot slower. Uh, you, you've, you've got a, less, a lot less of that uh, integration that, that is currently there. Uh, if, you, if you look at the Tazara rail network as an example, which links uh, Tanzania and Zambia, you do not have that 
operating as seamlessly and as efficiently as possible. See, that corridor is not as efficient as it should be. Um, if you look at the central rail corridor as well, which is the rail network that's running from Dar es Salaam, um, and, and then which should be uh, going all the way up into uh, uh, Rwanda and Burundi, you don't have that rail link going into Rwanda and Burundi. Uh, so you've got a lot more, uh, if you're going further up deep uh, East Africa, uh, I think the pace is a bit slower. Mm. Um, but it's debatable, um, and I'll obviously open it to, to your other uh, panelists to, to provide some comment on that as well. Well, thank you for giving us your time, Kudzanai Bangur. I know you have to leave us. That was uh, Kudzanai Bangur, who is the manager at the Napit Business Foundation's Africa Infrastructure Desk. And thank you for giving us your time on that little update on what's happening when it comes to the corridors and integrating uh, Africa in terms of transport from that perspective. Let me move to you, uh, William Wanza, before I go to Leslie. Uh, in terms of progress that's been made, I know that currently right now you know, we are seeing sense of a little movements when it comes to this integration project. But uh, where are the successes so far for the continent? And also, you can include some challenges there. Okay. Um, yeah, the progress, I think, overall, we know that it hasn't really um, proceeded as fast as eno- uh, enough as, as we'd really hope. Um, mm. And this, I think, is reflected in the low levels of intra-African trade. Um, we trade more with uh, with partners outside of the continent than we trade um, between ourselves. So that's, I think, the most key indicator of, of where our regional integration initiatives are. I think intra-African trade is only between 12 and, and 15% um, currently. So I think the, the aim is really to, to increase this, um, this percentage. See, if it goes into the 25%, 30%, then you know that you're creating, there's much more that's being produced um, on the continent. Um, the, the more jobs that are being created, um, and that has multiplier effects um, within the within the economies. Um, I think the Africa Region Integration Index that you mentioned at the beginning, I think it's quite a welcome tool in terms of monitoring and, and really evaluating progress. And we see that, I think, in the EAC, it has been cited as the region that's um, doing the, uh, the, the, the most um, in, in terms of integration. It's, it's recorded higher than average um, scores in almost all the five dimensions. Um, that this index um, has actually um, used to monitor to monitor progress, and and that's only except the financial and macro- macroeconomic integration within the EAC. But otherwise, on some of the other dimensions like trade integration, we know that the operating a customs union um, among among the five member states, which is uh, is is operating quite well. Um, also productive integration in terms of the industrialization. Um, there's there's more of Kenya being I think the regional hub and other countries also benefiting um, in terms of uh, industrial linkages uh, mm. within, the, within, the, um, uh, within the region. Also free movement of people, I think they've been also been doing quite well, and regional infrastructure, the efforts that are going on. Um, across across the, other, the other regional economic communities, I think the economic community of West African states is doing quite well on free movement of people. We know that they, um, they have a, a single passport, um, an ECOWAS passport, um, which actually allows you um, to move within the region and, and perhaps maybe some of the challenges that you faced um, on, on this side are more um, are actually more addressed um, within that kind of region. Mm. The Intergovernmental Authority on, on Development, um, IGAD, is reportedly doing um, quite well on infrastructure. Um, but then I think there's also a trend where um, some of the regional powerhouses, such as Nigeria and Egypt, um, 
are not really being uh, have not really been reported as as being the most integrated. You would actually hope that um, we would be proceeding with regional integration by linking to these powerhouses, so South Africa, Kenya, sure, Egypt, and sure. Nigeria, and then some of these other smaller economies can actually leverage um, the opportunities within the linkages um, in, in those regions. So that's a bit of a concern, but then we hope that um, along the way, um, hopefully, that that would be addressed, that some of these... Um, some of these bigger countries would actually become more integrated. For the case of Nigeria, we know that I think it's been more dependent on on, on oil exports and, and with the commodity um, price decline now, obviously there is the, the need and the recognition to actually move to more a more diversified economy and there's the recognition to do this on a regional basis. So hopefully you'd actually be seeing that trend um, more and more. On the flip side, some of the other smaller contributors um, mm. to regional GDP are actually doing quite uh, quite well in terms of being integrated. I think Ivory Coast is one is one good example, meaning that there is actually um, some benefits that small countries can actually get from these um, from these frameworks. Um, but then the challenges, I think, um, mostly hard infrastructure deficiencies, I believe, are are, are, the, are the most uh, the, the most binding constraint to actually producing and trading across the continent. Um, we, we know that in, in, recent, in recent years there's been the narrative of Africa rising. At the beginning of this year at a conference and I heard that Africa paused. Um, there has been a lot of interest in the continent, but then now I think we, we still realize that there are those hard and fast um, challenges, especially mm-hmm. in infrastructure, that mm-hmm. need to be addressed for us to actually be producing um, and, and trading in a, in a more efficient matter, uh, manner. Excuse me. But sure. then there are also soft, soft infrastructure um, issues that actually have to complement um, mm. the hard infrastructure that we're actually going to put in place. So regulatory issues um, across these um, these regional networks that we try to we try to build. It's just a shame that Kuzanaya um, has left. But then one question that I would have had was um, just an example of a rail of a rail mm. route. Sometimes we hear that um, across countries, different countries can have different um, standard gauges. You know the the width of of, of the rail route itself. So for as long as a country has it on paper that um, this is the this is the width that our railroads are going to have within the country and they're different from the neighboring country, then it might be a very practical difficulty in terms of like developing the rail route across the two countries. Um, so those are some of the regulatory um, sort sure. of impediments that have to also be um, um, that also have to be addressed. And maybe Leslie could um, could give some pointers on that on what the experience has been. Um, sure. then well, I have to I have to cut you off there, um, William. Sorry about that. I need to go to a break and then move on to to Leslie, and we'll come back to some other factors that you have there. Hey, today we're looking at regional integration. As I mentioned when we started the program, a little bit into the program, I was just talking about my experience at the Bait Bridge border, and I chilled there at least uh, accumulating kind of the times, the hours that I, I went in and came out. I think I spent around twelve hours at the border, and that's a whole day really more than my hours at work so i was really really not happy with that experience but do you think that we can have a space whereby in our regions there's freedom of movement there was a good example that was made with the eac there the community whereby there seems to be progress that's been made there but in the rest of the continent can we find our space 
where even region one region to the next region we can actually connect easier give us your thoughts you can sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us at info at childafrica.org when we come back we'll uh, uh, start the conversation with leslie wentworth going to the idea of sadex project i know it's focusing on the issue of industrialization especially from uh, uh, especially how do you deal with it now when you're seeing that we have an economic downturn and that's where the challenges are and also we look at where is the investment coming from for all these infrastructure pro- uh, programs we know that china also has made a commitment when it came in south africa for its china africa summit so does that actually pour into these projects that have to do with regional integration hey let's take a quick break we'll be back If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Can we be more integrated regionally and uh, can we fast track this project? Give us your thoughts. Remember, you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Leslie, let's come to this issue of uh, what's happening in terms of industrialization. I know there's a big commitment coming from uh, uh, SEDEC itself, looking at what it's actually doing. I know that we've seen Africa experiencing those external economic shocks, as was highlighted there by William, that there was seems to be a pause, especially when it comes to investment. We know there's that slowdown in China with its economy, declines in the commodity prices, and also we're seeing that the likely continued U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hikes that we are seeing. How, how are you dealing with these particular tensions? But before you tell us those, dealing with those tensions, give us a little bit of a backdrop of how do we actually see industrialization in the SADC region? Thank you so very much, and, and hello once again to your listeners. Um, so uh, very recently, uh, six months ago, we launched the Southern African Business Forum, which is an inclusive platform meant to engage in dialogue uh, the regional private sector with public sector made up of the SADC Secretariat in particular, but also SADC member states, um, so, so relevant officials. We, um, coming out of the, the first conference of the Southern Africa Business Forum um, was a, a Savuti declaration which was handed from the, the private sector membership at the conference um, and, and handed to the SADC Secretariat. Um, in this, they set out some of the, the challenges which business experience in doing business in the SADC region in particular. Um, in the first instance, there was the, the need for the establishment of regional value chains, um, and, and in that we, we look at uh, industrialization, which I'll come back to in just a short moment. There, you've, you've referred uh, co- consistently to the movement of people, um, and in, in that was one of the, the declaration points handed down by the Savuti Declaration as well. Um, my colleague William from Trellick uh, 
focused on uh, non-tariff barriers and trade facilitation, that was another critical issue that was identified by the private sector in terms of how do we address these. And then the, the three major networked infrastructure sectors, transport, energy, and water. What, what has happened subsequently is that we've actually worked together with the static secretariat who have been very uh, embracing of this concept and, and uh, very dynamic, uh, dynamically engaged with us and with the, the private sector. We officially launched these working groups last week in Johannesburg and we've already seen uh, quite significant uh, interest uh, in, in these. So in terms of the industrialization program or the industrialization strategy which, which uh, the SADC Secretariat has, has now endorsed, um, has been in fact endorsed by, by all SADC member states at the last SADC uh, Heads of State Summit. Industrialization focuses on a move away from the traditional way of, of economics being that, uh, conducted on, on the continent. You know the process where, uh, in terms of our, our commodities, our mining commodities, oil, fossil fuels, etc., are exploited, extracted, and exported out of uh, Africa. And, and here, let's refer specifically to the static region. What uh, member states have, particularly given the the, the, the massive slump in commodity prices. Member states have felt that that we need to re reorganize our, our our economic development away from this this um, what what may have been once been a, a lucrative process, but now we, it's resulting in in the fiscus of many African countries dropping by by significant amounts. I think uh, the the last quotation for Angola in terms of its drop in, in mm. the oil price, the effect of the drop in the oil price mm. uh, was, was that the, the fiscal revenues dropped by nearly 40%. So that gives you a sense of, of why we need to industrialize, why we need to, to focus on value addition in terms of our um, economic development process. Sorry to cut you off there, Leslie, but someone would ask, do we have the skill, do we have the capacity to actually be independent in regions like that, the way that you're speaking? Um, I think that we we have pockets of skills. I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You've put your finger on it. Education or, or lack of education in, in most SADC countries, including South Africa, um, education is, is one of the... the greatest challenges. And I think that uh, the, the, the result uh, of, of the high unemployment rates, particularly amongst our youth, is, uh, is uh, you know, you, you see this pro problem magnified as a result of the, the, the lack of focus on education. Um, there have been significant efforts and we've we have to take our hats off to many of the international cooperating partners, uh, amongst them from from the United States, from the European Union, uh, from from uh, Australia, etc. They they have they have provided us with significant assistance in terms of capacity building of our populations, in order to ensure that we're able to mm. um, address 
this this dearth in in skills. Mm. But it's also a process by means by, by means of which we need to inject innovation in our processes. You know, I spoke earlier about African solutions. It's it's very good to to know the best practices that have been applied elsewhere in the world. But now to take those best practices and apply them in an African context, that, that is, is, is significant. We need to know the environment in which we work, the conditions in, in which we work, what our shortcomings are and how we're able to, to, to get a leg up uh, over those those mm. Let me come back to you, William, and uh, very interesting in itself. And most of it comes back to uh, just investment. And I know that that seems to be where the struggle is. Where do we get the capital from? Where do we get this money to invest in all these infrastructural programs? Where do we get actually support to actually maintain even the infrastructure we want to build? So what's the solution for that, William? I know that uh, recently the China-Africa summit happened last year, and they spoke a little bit about to actually bring in some support for these kind of projects. But is China the only solution? Um, thank you, Benjamin, and hello again to your, to your listeners. Um, I think just before I also address that, um, just to also welcome um, what Leslie has said on the Southern African Business Forum. Um, really, these, these agreements are there um, for the use of private actors. It's, it's governments agreeing on these um, or framing these agreements and implementing them so that the person on the streets that's consuming a certain commodity has a wider choice. Um, and also private sector players, small and medium scale enterprises who are within, in the respective countries, um, are actually being able to, um, to produce and to trade. And, 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 and that has uh, well, significant benefits in terms of development of a, of a middle class, uh, which will, will just reinforce the development process. Um, so I think to have an organized private sector voice, um, which is actually making demands on the system, um, is actually very welcome. Um, in terms of infrastructure, um, it, it, it has been um, quite a significant development. I think in SADC, um, having this regional infrastructure sort of development master plan where there's a focus on um, on uh, actually these regional networks in all these different sectors. Uh, Leslie highlighted transport, energy, and water. Um, I think before we get to the financing of the infrastructure itself, the financing is the most critical issue. There's also an issue of bringing these projects up to a bankable stage where a financer can actually come in and actually put their money because this project is actually worth with financing and it can be seen um, to, to its completion and it's going to make returns um, on the investment. So within SADC there is the uh, project preparation and development facility which um, has been um, has been developed in the past few years and that's, that's, av- that's one avenue which um, countries can now use to actually bring their projects to a bankable level through feasibility, pre-feasibility studies, environmental impact assessments, all that, all that work that needs to go in. Um, development partners are playing a key role in, in for example, the, that, that particular facility. And they're going to be, um, they're going to be avenues which national governments can actually use. I mean, there is the challenge that returns to infrastructure are only realized uh, much further down um, along the road. So maybe governments, 
have a difficulty actually investing um, in in huge um, infrastructure projects because of the public purse um, being restricted. But then I think also just touching touching on the on the innovation that's needed, if governments can agree to fund certain sections of a regional network in their own countries, hopefully then we'll be we'll be moving towards um, a situation where um, we're, we're more relying on ourselves to, to actually implement these projects in a coordinated way. Um, the development partners are there and then there's regional funds that can actually be um, that can actually be developed and we know that the African Development Bank is is actually big on energy and some of these other transport infrastructure um, um, projects and certainly they're going to be the ones who I think are taking the lead in providing um, from a multilateral level um, financing um, into into regional funds, which can then uh, be channeled directly to these to these regional projects. Mm-hmm. But then there are also other other instruments that are being used. I know that Zambia, I think, floated some regional um, infrastructure bonds. So that depends, though, on how well the country is doing in terms of its credit rating. So there'll be a lot of macroeconomic um, fundamental issues which need to be developed within a country for it to have a good credit rating. Mm-hmm. And then it can actually issue a bond on the international market, and people are going to invest because people are looking for the next place to um, to put their money. And mm. across the globe, it's pretty saturated, and that next place um, is Africa. So sure. by the time that you have your macroeconomic environment, your ease of doing business in place, and you have a good credit rating, and you can issue that that um, international bond, and people are going to actually sure. invest in that, and then sure, you can sure. use the finances um, to actually invest in this infrastructure project. Mm. Well, we have to wrap it up there, and I think that I had to give you each time to actually speak specifically on certain areas because uh, we had limited time. I didn't want to actually interrupt during the the process of engaging with all of us, and that's I think that we did well just to break down some of these areas. But thank you to our guests. Thank you to uh, Trelec researcher William Wanza for joining us on the line. Thank you as well to Leslie Wentworth, who is also part of the uh, NAPED Business Foundation and also is focused on SEDEX integration and industrialization call in uh, the Southern Africa Business Forum. Thank you uh, all for giving us your time. Thanks for having Thanks me as well. Thanks very much. Michelle. Just a reminder, earlier on before them, we had Kudzanai Bangure, who's also the manager at the National, and rather the NAPED Business Foundation's Africa Infrastructure Desk, who is giving us a little bit on uh, the transport uh, corridors perspective of things. But hey, let's quickly move on. Let's get a quick break and then we'll get our business news. Hello, listeners. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 
South Africa's finance minister, Pravin Gordon, says efforts to market the South African economy appear to be yielding positive results. He's in the United States to try to reassure rating agencies not to downgrade South Africa's credit status. Gordon says international investors are buying South African bonds, a move which suggests there's improved confidence in the country's economy. Nigeria's state oil company is in a standoff with energy giants ExxonMobil and Royal Dutch Shell over ownership of physical crude cargoes. The dispute has delayed some of the country's monthly oil export programs. Discrepancies between NNPC and companies with production sharing contracts that entitle them to oil have always existed. Challenges in customs services in the SADC region will come under the spotlight as South African President Jacob Zuma meets his Namibian counterpart Haig Kheinkwob in Tuesday. Zuma is in the current chairperson of the Southern African Customs Union, SACU, and is in Namibia to assess progress made in the implementation of the SACU program. The union seeks to ignite economic growth by enhancing trade and investment through customs revenue shared among member states, which include Botswana, Lesotho and Swaziland. South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davis says they are trying to resolve issues such as the slow implementation of agreements. We've also got the question of the revenue formula and in particular finding some funding so we can support some cross-border projects. That's another matter which has been raised over time. And then the question of uh, the institutional building of SACU and what is the steps that we're going to be taking uh, in terms of tariff setting in, in the Southern African Customs Union. And that's been a big issue. South African teenagers are addicted to cell phones and cannot live without them. A study conducted by the University of South Africa says when their mobile phones are taken away, they experience withdrawal symptoms similar to an addict trying to quit drugs. Head of the Bureau of Market Research at the University of South Africa, Dion Tustin. 70% of learners, that when the first thing that they do when waking up in the morning, they check their phone. So it just confirms their high dependence level on cell phones. Even... On the emotional side, we see that uh, about 80% of the learners indicated that they become even nervous at times when they misplace their cell phones. And quite disturbingly, um, when they have no money left on their cell phones, they become nervous and even steal money to obtain airtime. Looking at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 14.58 to the South African Rand, 10.65 to the Botswana Pula, and 9.14 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's also at 0.70 to the British Pound and 0.88 to the Euro. On the commodities, gold is trading at $1,234 and platinum is at $981 an ounce, while the price of Brent crude oil is $42.65 a barrel. Your economics news here on Channel Africa.
And directly into our sports update this hour, we're starting off with football news. Tanzania's Azam admit they have an enormous task on Wednesday as they defend a 2-1 lead in Tunisia against Esperance in the second leg of their Confederation Cup tie. The winners of the last 16 ties will play the losers in the Champions League for a place in the Confederations Cup group phase. The Tunis Bay side are among the favourites to leave the title as they boast a multinational squad of experienced continental campaigners. On to athletics, Ethiopian runner Lemi Beranu Haili won the men's Boston Marathon on Monday in a late surge against defending champion and fellow Ethiopian Lalisa Desisa. Haley beat all comers by covering the notoriously hilly course in 2 hours, 12 minutes and 4-5 seconds as thousands of spectators cheered him under sunny skies. On the women's side, Ethiopian runner Atsede Baisa won in 2 hours, 29.19, overcoming a 37-second deficit in the last 5 miles of the race. It was the third running of the world's oldest continu- continually run annual marathon since a pair of ethnic Chechen brothers killed three people and injured more than 260 with a pair of homemade pressure cooker bombs placed at the finish line in 2013. And in boxing news, history will be made in the South African Boxing Fraternity next week when bouts of four different world bodies will be contested in one boxing tournament. Africa Promoters Consortium briefed the media on the tournament to be staged in Bulugwane, South Africa's Limpopo province next Friday. World titles to be contested include the WBO, the IBO and the WBF. In the main bout, IBO welterweight champion Tsiko Cruel Jr. Mulobezi will defend his title against Mexican Jesus Garula. It will be Mulobezi's first defense of the title since he won it last year when he knocked out Ali Funeka in the fifth round. Mulobezi says he's more than ready. Yeah, I've seen uh, some of his tapes. Um, nothing, okay, nothing new in that, but then okay. I saw how he fights in that, and uh, we prepared, like, we, uh, all our preparations were due to uh, the way he fights and that, and where his weaknesses and that, and obviously come up with a strategy as a, a game plan and that, as, as to how to beat him. And that. So I don't think it'll be a problem for me on the 29. And the world number ones in tennis, Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams completed a clean sweep for tennis as they won the Laureate Sportsman and Sportswoman of the Year awards on Monday night. In a glitzy ceremony in the German capital hosted by U.S. actor Bill Murray, Sabias Djokovic beat Barcelona footballer Lionel Messi sprinter Usain Bolt and Formula One champion Louise Hamilton, among others, for the top main award at the annual ceremony. Both athletes picked up the top prize for the third time, with Williams having previously won it in 2003 and 2010, while Djokovic was also victorious in 2012 and 2015. Meanwhile, golfer Jordan Spieth won the Breakthrough of the Year award after capturing his first two majors at the 2015 U.S. Masters and U.S. Open while New Zealand's All Blacks won Team of the Year award following their World Cup victory. There was some joy for the host nation as well with triathlete Jan Fredino grabbing the Action Sports Person of the Year prize. Dutch footballer and coach Johan Cruyff, who died of cancer in March, was posthumously awarded the Spirit of Sport award. His son, Jody, received the award. And lastly, with 
cricket news. South African Players Association Chief Executive Tony Irish says the Proteas are reluctant to play a day-night test during their tour of Australia as they have no experience with a pink ball. South Africa will tour Australia in a three-test series in a home summer and Cricket Australia announced last year that they wanted one of the fixtures to be a day and night game. Cricket Australia will announce their summer schedule on Wednesday and decline to comment on South Africa's reservations about the pink ball. And that's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow, same place, same time, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, when I hear your thoughts, so do send us your SMSs. Don't forget to engage with us on our website. Remember, every show we have a podcast that is available, so you can check it out. Uh, maybe an hour after the program, you can go to our website, www.channelafrica.co.za, and you'll find our podcast of our program. You go to the multimedia section there and you just click on the Africa Dialogue tab and then it will link you to our podcast even of previous programs but hey we're gonna wrap it up with a, uh, a song rather Afro Traction this one is titled Imalie Lobola <laughs>